for perhaps perhaps popcorn plumbing plumbing it's quite hard to think producers of yeah. poor plums performances <laughs> popcorn plumbing it's a new profession yes we just invented a new profession I'm so I'm, we've been very productive so far we have <laughs> I would agree with that uh, so thank you so much Kat for joining me and you are episode 20 ooh on coming up next I can't quite uh, believe that well I can believe that we've made it to 20 episodes because we've done 20 or 19 previous episodes so it's not that unbelievable but it's I always uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me how something that just starts as a sort of chemical reaction in your head can result in a show or a, mm, that's or a, a milestone thing. 20's a lot of shows yeah 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 I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, thank yeah. you and thank you for being number 20. Oh, well, pleased to be. <laughs> it's episode 20, friends, of coming up next. Wow. We have made it into our next decade. Episode 20. I'm a little bit... Uh, a little bit lost for words. When I came up with the idea of doing this podcast months and months and a few more months ago, I was really excited and really inspired by the idea and it has completely taken on a life of its own. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all for tuning in, for coming here, for, for stopping by if this is your first episode or for keeping on coming back for more of the rambles if you're one of our coming up next work regulars. And on the show this week, it's just a tremendous, awesome and outstanding interview with one of the actors in, uh, in Australia. You may know her as Roberta Williams from Underbelly. You may know her from Tangle. You may know her from Offspring. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, to celebrate episode 20 of Coming Up Next, Cat Stewart. And you... Uh in my opinion, one of the most prolific actors in the country, certainly for the last 10 years, I would say, and one of the most outstanding actors in the country as well. Oh, golly. Thanks, Alistair. Well, I just wanted to build you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'll tell you anything, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's quite... Uh, I'm quite intrigued by what's driven you. And, you know, I've read um, in my short googling and wikipedia browsing mm. um you know that something that's driven you or that continues to drive you is um uh, is that instability that kind of fear or not taking uh work for granted mm. and you came into the acting profession uh as a um pr person mm. yes so you kind of had a backstop but then you kind of cut the safety net after a little while and kind of dive head first into it yes yeah that's true and I came to acting a little bit late too I guess um you know some people know when they're at school that they want to be an actor and they're they're getting jobs and have agents then but um I was doing a bit of house drama at school and knew I liked it but I didn't think it was ever a career um it was just something I loved doing and then when I was at uni I was doing marketing and arts and but was involved in the theatre society and was much more interested in that and than the degrees but um and and then, so so yeah, it wasn't until I'd done a couple of degrees that I actually started studying acting. Mm. Um, 
But I'm kind of really grateful for that because the course I ended up doing, which has now changed, was at the National Theatre Drama School in St Kilda. And at the time that was a nighttime course. So the ethos with that was very much support your acting career, support your habit. Mm. <laughs> so um, it was, you know, everyone was working full time or at least part time and then doing this course at night. And that was a really good kind of, that lifestyle was a really good training ground for the life of, a, of an artist, I think. Yeah, I was going to say that would set you in good stead for the life of an actor. Yeah, because you really, it was literally a, a habit I had to support. So I was, um, yeah, working during the day and, and but feeding, you know, and I didn't, I don't think I saw any movies for about three years. It was just all I was doing was, you know, rehearsing and, 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 and just throwing myself into it. But I was in my early 20s and I just, um, I loved it. It was, you know, a really productive exciting time um but yeah I came to it a bit late and um I don't know really where I was going with that where where were we going I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know but anyway yeah so um I certainly um uh, any kind of commercial recognition came for me quite late um I'd been doing theatre for a long time um just pretty much under the radar and mm. just doing it because I loved it and I got to a point where I just sort of decided well <clears throat> excuse me people watch it or they won't um, but I'm just going to do the best I can and do work that I'm really excited by. Mm. And that was not what I initially, I initially sort of had ideas about what success was, but none of those things were coming my way. So I decided to kind of <laughs> alter my, um, my goals a little bit and just kind of do it anyway. And, um, mercifully I got some kind of, um, recognition, um, kind of in my early to mid thirties and, um, and more work from that. I was able to sustain a better kind of life, mm. um, in terms of, you know, just living, yeah. um, <laughs> which is nice. It's nice to be paid for what you do. Um, but yeah, so it's been, um, it's been interesting. It's been, I wouldn't change it for anything though. And there are certainly ups and downs in there, but, um, it's, I, I was talking to, um, girl to check out the other day and she's, <laughs> she's studying something, um, biochemistry or something, but she really wants to be a chef. And I said, yeah, you know, I did all the study and I'm not doing, it's, it's not in my life anymore, but you know, by all means, but you got to do what you love. And I really believe that. Mm. No, I agree with that. And I think part of me doing this podcast is an exercise. I like to pretend that it's for other people, people who are listening, that it might encourage them to follow their hearts and follow their dreams. But really it's probably just so that I can reinforce for myself (laughs) via some of the most talented people in the country that I'm doing the right thing. I think, well, I, th- I think exactly what you're saying. You know, if you're if you're passionate about what you're doing, whether it's this podcast or your other work, mm. then hopefully, you know, they will come. You know, mm. they, people will get it. Yeah, I went to uh, you know Kevin Smith, the filmmaker. Yes, I went to a um a Q and A with him not long ago. Uh, he was in Melbourne, and he's notorious for only answering like one or two questions in his Q and A, not because he's an asshole. The opposite, because he's so generous with his answers that his answers tend to go for 90 minutes to one question. Wow. And so knowing this, I was like, and he's a big, um, I wouldn't say idol, he's certainly a hero. I feel like he's um, paved the way for people like me mm. uh, with his with his way and his the way that he goes about doing things. So with that knowledge, I was like, okay, I have to be the first person so that I can ask him a question. And fortunately, I was the first one in line and I asked him about growing a podcast audience because he has a podcast empire in America. And he basically said to me, you know, you can, of course, there is a way to grow an audience and to, you know, make it um, financial, uh, turn it into money and this sort of thing. 
but it requires a certain amount of selling out. Um, so just know that and know that if you want to make the show that you want to make, the audience will find you and trust mm. that. Trust mm. that that the audience will find you. I, I think that's so true. I think that's true with um, any kind of you know production to any kind of work. If you're trying to please a particular audience, you can end up kind of, becoming so wishy-washy and I think you know we say that a lot you know you see something on tv and you go what it's just so bland and it's probably because about eight people you know or more have got involved from different kind of levels and said oh but we need them to be more likable or you know we need to make sure that you know they don't fight at this point or that we sympathize with her or and before you know it you've just got something bland and edges are important I think um doing something that's interesting to you is always the best way to go Mm, I agree and you know, you have to make it personal, but then not take anything personally. Uh-huh. That is a challenge. Good luck with that. <laughs> mm, it is a very big challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But everyone's going to have their opinions. And if you're trying to uh, satisfy people's opinions en masse, then you're not going to satisfy anyone. Yeah, yeah. So mm. true. So the best thing you can do is, I guess, put it out there for yourself and trust that there are going to be other people like you. Yeah. And the ones that get it will really get it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Something you said before was that your idea of success has shifted Mm. and possibly as a result of not getting the work that you thought you might get. Mm. This is something that I've been experiencing in the last 12 months where my idea of success has shifted from like being a kind of tangible idea to maybe a little bit less tangible, a, a bit more like... You know, it would be great if I could, through my work, inspire people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to being, I, uh, by the time I'm 35, I want to have made three feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those kind, of, those, are, those kind of goals are good, but I don't know if that's kind of a success marker. Mm. Um, I, I used to have a very black and white idea about what success was and wh- what made you a winner or what made you a loser. Mm. So... Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't necessarily judging other people. I was just really tough on myself. And, um, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty tough kind of framework to have if you're going to be an actor because our lives are, uh, or an artist generally, because, you know, we're all up against so much rejection and judgment and it is personal, you know. So, um, yeah, just through necessity more than anything else, I had to kind of um, have a look at that and sort of unpick it a little bit and think, oh, do I think that about everyone else? Why am I? And I'm going to manoeuvre myself out of doing something. I'm going to I'm going to leech all the joy out of this. Mm. So it wasn't um, it wasn't a quick kind of shift. It took it took a couple of years, but mm. it, it's something I've held on to. Well, and and also um, also the kind of work I want to do. I mean, obviously your priorities change, and you know you have a family, and you have you know other imperatives to kind of look after. But in terms of the kind of work you do, you want to still be able to look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of what you're doing. And that's something I'm, I'm very much trying to hang on to. <laughs> mm. I, hope, I hope I do. But, yeah, I mean, things fail with the best of intentions, but I, I try not to go into something if I really don't think it's going to be any good. Mm. What was, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. what was your idea of success and oh, what I, did it I, kind I of shift to? it was, to? you know, the, the, the early 20-something idea that it's, it's, it's you know, uh, lots of work, lots of um, awards, lots of... Uh, fame, uh, Hollywood, um, you know, all the, all the bull that we, <laughs> we believe when we're, um, yeah. when we're really young and naive, all that seductive stuff. Mm. And then, um, accolades and acclaim. 
yeah, just that idea of what success, and it's really possibly based on, you know, just what a, a picture looks like in a magazine, but when actually anyone who's actually working, um, well, not working is not glamorous, but working's not glamorous either. And, you know, it's, it's being in a caravan at five in the morning in Ag Boots, um, in the middle of nowhere in some field and, um, mm. you know, on set or it's, um, you know, I was working in a theatre company and, you know, washing, you know, cleaning the toilets and putting up posters. Like none of it's glamorous, actually. No. It's just this idea that we have and it's the, um, the dream that of the red carpet kind of dream that people see. They think that's what it's like, but, you know, we all know that it's, it's quite, quite different from that. And that's, thank goodness, because otherwise we'd all be... Shocking company. <laughs> <I think. laughs> oh God! Yeah. Yeah, we'd all be like reality TV stars. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, there's a, there's another pathway if you want to go that way. You can, but I don't think reality TV would be that glamorous either. But that's pretty mm. exhausting too. And reality is, I'm it's sure, reality using the term loosely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think they um they starve them and and keep them up too late and stuff to get really good drama out of those guys too. So I'm sure they're not having a great time either. Mm. Not that. I I love, I work, you know, when when I don't mind, I love hard work and I don't mind long hours if I'm doing Mm. something I love. So certainly not complaining. Yeah. No, I think what you mean by that is it's not glamorous. It's it's not glamorous. It's not like you're sitting there smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey (laughs) long into the night and then you go on set for 10 minutes, do your one take. Yes. And everyone tells me I'm fabulous and there's a fan blowing in my hair at all times. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that doesn't happen. None of that's true except for the fan. (laughs) Except for the fan, which I'm very very much enjoying this fan. Thank you. Yeah. We actually managed to get one. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) I was actually Nick. He managed to get one that has no, uh, has a noise reduction filter. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fabulous. <laughs> it's his number one fan. <laughs> one and only. God. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sure as a, well, you're not that new of a mother anymore, but you must be used to terrible jokes. Oh, oh no. I always, always. I think it's, I don't think it's related to being a parent. There's a dad joke thing, but I think you can tell dad jokes at any age. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, my cousin recently had a, um, had a child and, uh, I was, yeah, just reeling off pun after pun and she was asking if I was the one having a child. And <laughs> like, you've known me for 30 years. This is, this is my style. This is, this is what I do. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what did your idea of success then kind of shift to? Um, well, I was doing, I joined, um, most important thing for me was I joined a theatre company in St Kilda called Red Stitch Actors Theatre in 2002. And I did about a dozen plays in, you know, 18 months or something. Well, I don't know, something like that. It was great. And it was just back to back and it was wow. just our families coming pretty much. Mm. <laughs> um, and we, we did it all ourselves and it was, um, and we were reading plays and putting them on ourselves and approaching directors and, and just doing really terrific scripts that were sort of falling through the cracks um, at that time. And uh, it was just thrilling because we were getting the kind of roles that the commercial world would never have given us and being and challenging ourselves and stretching, going against type and kind of, it was just such a great learning ground and so intense. And we all broke up with our partners and we're all, we went a bit crazy and it was just great. You know, it was, it was exhausting and fabulous. You know, one of those really kind of influential, I was there for 10 years. Wow. Um, especially in the early days, it was really intense. And then I was doing less plays towards the end. I was doing other stuff as well, but, um, it was fantastic. Mm. Um, I've forgotten where I was going with this, though, Alistair. Where right. are we going with this? 
It's all this is all yeah, tangent. But yeah. I, had a, I had a feeling I had a point. I asked you how <laughs> your oh, that's right. What? I should probably know this. As the, <laughs> running the show, it's not all about me. Um, about oh, when did my uh, yes? When did it, when did it, yes? Thank you. When did it change? Um, so I was doing this work, which was just thrilling. But you know, we were getting single digit audiences, and I kind of. I had a period of unemployment, you know, just getting the odd guesty here and there and basically kind of feeling pretty rotten about it. And people do that whole thing, you know, are you an actor? What would I know you from? And you think mm. you just feel terrible about that and just kind of, oh, it's not happening. It is the happening. worst question. It hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, um, so uh, I was doing work that I was really thrilled about and excited by and working with people who were just fantastic. But I wasn't getting – so I was having these great – experiences but but I wasn't getting any of the kind of traditional success mm. markers that I you know had once thought were important and I stopped caring so much I just threw myself into the work and um and I just so I'd, yeah basically it was this I'm going to do this anyway um they'll the the commercial world will hire me or they'll notice me or they won't but I'm going to do it anyway and mm. um that was really liberating actually and that's the best thing to forget about yourself and forget about your ego and just do the work and as soon as you do that so much bullshit just falls away. Yeah. It, it's very important to take the pressure off in that regard, I think. Yeah. We're so I – mean, we all care about, you know, what, what our family think about us and our friends think about us and, you know, whether we're doing well enough and all that sort of stuff. And if anyone's worried about us, if they're feeling sorry for us, you know, all that stuff, especially as an artist. But, yeah, um, yeah and it's sometimes I find it's useful on set too if you're kind of getting bogged down in – that outer stuff, just concentrate on the scene you're doing, concentrate on what you're doing, what, what's this action, what's this moment. Mm. And as soon as you just concentrate on the work, it gets a lot more simple. Mm. It's quite uh, remarkable as I'm exploring and I've started getting people on the show who work outside of the entertainment industry as well. Mm. And even just exploring in my own life how much if you make – if, if you champion other people or if you try and make them shine, mm. you take the pressure off yourself. Yes. And I think particularly as an actor, um, I mean, I've trained quite a bit as an actor as well. Yes. And that's one of the things that you're always told is it's it's not about you, it's about the work, it's about the story and it's about the other person in the scene. What are you trying to do to them? Yeah, it's not your <laughs> look at me moment. Yeah, that's... And you can spot that a mile away. The showy, offy actors, and it's not. Mm. It's not this is not. Then I'm like, it's not my favourite thing to watch. <laughs> Just it's not my. It's not my taste. And um, that was the other great thing about Red Stitch. It was an ensemble, so yeah, you know, you wouldn't get away with that, mm. that stuff. It was about making the scene work and giving each character their appropriate moment as written, not trying to steal focus. Because you know, what does that lead to? That leads to someone else payback, and before you know it. You're not in the scene. It's yeah. It's no way to. It's it's also so self indulgent. The audience deserve better. Mm. Yeah, the audience definitely do deserve better. Um, so you mentioned that you were doing high school drama. Oh uh, yeah, drama yeah, at well, yeah. At more yeah, a bit of house drama, and then more um, at um, uni. I got involved in the society there. Yeah, I did read um, that you. I think it was saying as early as grade two were interested in <laughs> yes. theatre. Well, um, well, I probably didn't even understand it as theatre, but I just had a teacher that used to get us to to enact stories, and I was really shy. And all of a sudden, if I was playing a role, I was the same when I was playing, you know, with my my dolls, with you know, friends and stuff. 
as soon as I got to be someone else, I, I became very um, confident and, mm. and I found a, a voice, you know. Um, so I've just felt, felt good. That felt right and exciting and freeing. And I, I, I stopped being self-conscious and I think I was quite, yeah, quite introverted kid. Mm. Very polite, very eager to please, very, yeah. So it was, it was fun. I really loved it. Mm. One of the, um, there's, there's about three questions that I ask everyone mm. who comes on and I never know when they're going to come up. But one of the questions I love talking to people about is, uh, do you remember the first time that you entertained your family or friends or someone, something that kind of gave you that feedback, that notion that this is something that I want. And I'm talking on a purely subconscious level because I'm sure as an eight-year-old, you're not going, hmm, this energy yeah. feels amazing <laughs> in my body. Yeah. I do. I can't, I can't. It's a vague kind of, it might be kind of a combination of different events, but I certainly remember the sensation. And I remember manipulating the story. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just because I was enjoying myself and I wanted yeah. to do more. <laughs> Embellish. Yeah. Probably hamming it up and doing the exact kind of acting that I was just criticizing. <laughs> um, but it's innocent because you're a child. Yeah, so. exactly. I can remember that. Yeah. Um, yes, I remember that, that feeling when I was, you know, in about grade two. Um, and I remember doing a play at uni. It was a David Williamson play. Um, I think I was in third year uni or something. And I remember, it was just a weird moment. I was pouring a glass, it was supposed to be a glass of whiskey or something. And just in that moment, I decided to make an enormous glass of whiskey. And I was meant to be seducing somebody. And I got a laugh. And it was an accident. And it just, and all of a sudden, I sort of felt the energy shift and it was really quiet. And I remember thinking, this is intoxicating. This Mm. is just so, yeah. But I... I don't know who was in the audience or anything. I just remember feeling really alive. Mm. It's quite remarkable that there is usually quite a, it's not necessarily a single moment, but there's definitely that kind of feeling mm. that you can track to and go, that that was the moment of, because, uh, you know, we're all doing it because of something that was, well, maybe this is a generalization, but mm. because there was something lacking that we found through art in our lives. Yeah, I think it all um, it allows us to be brave. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you're certainly a very brave performer, um, especially the. Um, I think the way that you approach the work with uh, you kind of just throw yourself into your characters, is that something that was really drilled into you while you were at drama school or was this just part of your kind of natural ethos? Really, I just, the thing was, I, I loved the National, but I didn't feel like, we always, I always felt like, we felt special while we were there because, you know, third years are made to feel special. Um, and then you get out into the real world and you realise that, you know, at that time there were no general auditions for us for the MTC or for, you know, that, that was all for VCA. Like we were very much the poor relations and I hope it's changed now. I really mm. do. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I really felt like I didn't, I didn't feel classically trained. I felt like I had a, you know, I had, I don't want to, and I, I love that school and I, I'm very grateful for it. And I think that was great because I know that some schools, some of the more high profile schools are known for kind of everyone sounds the same sometimes, mm. you know, they all have that fabulous, rich, produced voice, but that's not how people talk. No. So I felt very, um, 
rough around the edges. And I also grew up in the country, so I've always gravitated towards people that are down to earth, probably anyway, just because that's my kind of background. Um, so I don't know. I just, I don't know. And I was, you know, I've done a bit of Shakespeare, but it's not my thing. You know, some people like the classical texts. I love Chekhov and, you know, but I'm not, I've always been about kind of contemporary mm. material. And I love doing accents and all that stuff too. But for some reason, I'm just drawn to more uh, earthy, real kind of work. And I'm interested in kind of uh, awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> I relish, you know, that, that kind of stuff and the edges and the stuff mm. and the mistakes, the mistakes that are your friend in a scene. Um, so that's just kind of my taste, I think. And that's what I appreciate in other people's work too. Um so I can admire the dexterity or the kind of the technique, but I, I want to see something real. I want to lose myself in a performance. So that's just my, and maybe that's through necessity. Maybe I don't have enough technique, so I've just decided that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it could be different if I, yeah, I don't know. But that's just, I don't know. That's just where I've sort of lived, I suppose. Mm. Were you at, um, forgive my memory, uh, did you do one of the master classes at 16th Street? Yeah, I've done a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, did. Um, I did uh, Ivana Chubbuck the first time she came, and I did um, Larry Moss the first time he came, and I just did Elizabeth Kemp a few months back. Oh wow! I've heard she's quite amazing. Wow! I had no idea what I was getting into, yeah. but it was really, it was really extraordinary. Do you find that? Uh, I mean, you were saying just before that maybe it's. You said you said a, a lack of technique, but I don't think that's quite right. But is is there something that's driving you back to educate yourself to kind of build that muscle or continue the growth of no, that? Because I don't see it as a drawback. I mean, I can do Shakespeare. I've, I've done it. Um, oh no, I sorry, it's I my strength, but I, I can do it. Ah, mm. uh, but I'm just interested in learning and getting better. Um, and I want to. I think you touched on it before. Um. I don't take work for granted and I think there's nothing worse than seeing a flabby actor who's, when I say flabby, not physically flabby, mm. I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, seeing an actor who's kind of complacent and just phoning it in mm. and there are plenty I don't know, plenty of my mates who should be getting stacks more work so I don't take it for granted, that's all. So I just think if, you've, mm. if you're working, that's no reason to stop kind of exploring and mm. and shaking things up a bit. And why wouldn't you want to learn from masters? Exactly, if you've got mm. the opportunity. And, and 16th Street have done such a great job at... Because I don't... I'm, I'm sort of... I'm not in a position to just, you know, jet off to LA for a month and do some deep work. I mean, I did that a decade ago, but I've got a family. Mm. So this, you know, having intensive, you know, four or five days with someone like that is just fantastic. So I've been really lucky to be able to take advantage of it. Mm. Was... America kind of in your line of vision, say, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago? Um, whenever I've gone over there, I must say, I've only gone over a couple of times. And the first time I went over, I was, how old was I? I was about 32. I was ancient. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, I've always felt that I'm, I'm open-minded and I want to work on great work and I'm a big fan of uh, American cinema and, and American TV, especially what's been happening the last, say, five years. Mm. Thrilling It's remarkable. Stuff. Thrilling stuff. Golden um, age of TV. Oh, hell yeah. So 
I would love, like, I'm not going to say no, I, I don't, I don't want to go there. I would love to mm. if the right thing happened, but I'm not at this point in my life, um, more personally than anything at my age, I don't want to go over and kind of schlep around. And I, if I went over with a project or, and I'm auditioning, I, I've got a lovely manager um, last year. So I've, and I've got close to a couple of things over there, which has been quite exciting. Mm. So, but I've been sending tapes over, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going over there and starting from scratch without a bit of a, I don't know, either, either a, a strong audition to, to take me over there or, um, or a project over here that resonates. Mm. Have you watched Mr. Robot yet? No. Watch I Mr. Robot. Okay. You should watch Mr. Robot. Okay. I've just got into um, Transparent. That's my big thing at the moment. I haven't watched that. Oh, it's terrific. Oh, I will watch that then. Yes. Um, it's funny going back to talking about success markers mm. and I had, um, Damien Walsh Howling on, uh, uh a number of, he was episode three or something, oh, I think. Oh, he's a lovely, lovely boy. Yeah. Man, and, I should um, say, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Michaela Bannis as well. Oh. And I spoke with both of them about this idea of success in Australia and how, the um the kind of clinical idea is that if you haven't made it in America, then you're not successful. And I've spoken to a few other people as well, mm. but it's this it's it's almost like so in that way, you know, there's actors and and directors and filmmakers as well carrying these twenty kilogram backpacks around that sort of say that history dictates that you're not successful until you've made it in America. Um, but that there's this great kind of, I don't know, uh, ethos within the community of people who are doing great things and making great work and that that's not actually the case. I don't feel that it's the case. Now, I might have felt that way when I was in my early 20s and my kind of markers were different, but now I just want to do good work. And I, I'm, I feel really lucky that the work I've been doing over the last few years has been in Melbourne. So I've been able to be around around my family who I'm really close to. Um, I've got a little boy now who goes to kindergarten and, you know, has stability in his life. Now I know that's not going to last and I'm going to be going to work elsewhere at some point. But mm. I've been really lucky that I've been able to be home-based and he, he's got to know, he knows his grandparents intimately, you know, and sees them most days. And that's magic. Mm. And... Um, and I have a community of friends and family around me. Um, and I've been able to do work that I've been really excited about and proud of. So I wasn't to say I'd, I'd love to do overseas stuff too, but I'm certainly not complaining. I think I've been really lucky, but each to their own. I mean, I, if I was 10 years younger, I might have very different ideas. Mm. But kind of my, um, it's not just about work for me now. It's kind of the bigger picture as well. Mm. It's still work's still bloody important, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens. It's kind of happening for me at the moment, mm. the, you know, where in my 20s it was all about career and, mm. you know, if I wasn't making money as a filmmaker then I was, or as an actor, then it was, you know, I'm not really being committed to my craft and mm. that kind of idea. And now it's kind of shifting to a bigger picture. What do I want in my life? What do mm. I want for my life? Mm. Um what do I want to create? It's not so kind of tunnel vision. Mm. Um, so when you were at um, Red Stitch, yes, you 
doing plays for a number of years and I think you said you're just doing the odd guesty here and there and then um, you landed a role on uh, Supernova. Oh, yes, yes. Was uh, Forgive me, I was looking through um, your credits and I was trying to pinpoint where it would have been that was the kind of role that would have put you not into the public spotlight necessarily, but certainly that people would have started to take notice and that was the one that um, looked to that me was, like... Yeah, that was... Um... I guess it was the first kind of core cast role I got. I'd done like a semi-regular on Last Man Standing Mm. the year before, or that year-ish. But that was exciting. That was opposite a little-known comedian, hardly. (laughs) He's super famous (laughs) now, Rob Brydon, which was a delight. So we did two series of that. Mm. No one saw it in Australia. It was made for BBC too. Yeah, I was going to say because he's huge in the UK. Yeah, massive. Have you seen The Trip? Have I ever? Yeah. And he's just like that. He's so funny. Mm. Um, so that was a, I, I was quite, I'm, I would, I don't really want to watch that ever because I'm sure I was dreadful and I was very nervous. <laughs> um, and I was so, uh, I was so desperate to get it right that I would rehearse the, the shit out of it basically. And uh, I'm sure I got locked into choices and, and, and I was not free. I was not spontaneous at all. But mercifully, my role was to be straight woman to his his great kind of um, loose style. Mm. So it kind of was probably it was probably all right. But I, I was sweating a lot. I was very tense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was great. And by the second series, I started to kind of it was just a really great education. The fact that no one saw it was awesome because mm. I kind of I learned so much. And that was my first time spending you know every day on set for any kind of extended period and you just learn so much just clocking up the hours and being around good people Mm. so that was that was great I don't think anyone I don't think that made a lick of difference in terms of my career at all it was just a really good experience Mm. um I think I think underbelly probably a couple of years later uh no so that we did second series of supernova in 2006 and underbelly we did in 2007 Mm. so that that was that was kind of that felt like a Mm. I didn't know at the time but it ended up being kind of a uh a bigger calling card. Yeah, that definitely was um, would have been the one that turned you into a household name, um, and you know the performance was outstanding. You know, show stopping. Oh. I'm sure there've um, been plenty of superlatives um, that have been thrown. Um, but I guess I'm I'm quite interested in what it's what it's like when that kind when you have that turning point and things actually suddenly you get that um that thrust well, it doesn't feel like it i've got to tell you it doesn't mm. feel like a thrust it doesn't feel like a turning point i can go you know having conversations like this is kind of the only time you ever really think about it mm. um and i can go oh okay and i can say well i think in retrospect underbelly definitely changed things but at the time, it didn't. At the time, I just got a job and I didn't know if she was in, Roberta was in it for two episodes or, mm. you know, 13. And um, we did, we weren't getting scripts until the last minute. It was all secretive. So it was all kind of, it just kept getting better and better for me, really. I just couldn't mm. believe how good it was. And But in terms of recognition, um, it was rating really well and getting good reviews, but wasn't on in Melbourne so no one I knew was seeing it for ages mm. gradually people saw it illegally that's but right I forgot about that yeah so yeah. it was it was banned here so um I was just pottering I was doing a SBS show with the, the wonderful Sean McAuliffe called um Newstopia and that was two or three days a week work and mm. doing um Red Stitch still and mm. I didn't feel like a turning point 
and it, it didn't it didn't lead to lots of job off. It led to a, f- a few bits and bobs hmm. being offered, but they were all carbon copies of Roberta, and I couldn't take right. them. Yeah, yeah. For that reason, so it didn't really. It might have changed things, but it didn't feel like a turning point. Mm. Damien spoke about um, the idea of this really collective group of actors who were just. It was one of those stars aligning moments where everyone was just there and everyone was really committed to the show and to creating something that was going to be really special. Mm. Without, like, it was it was an unspoken kind of thing. There was a real energy. And there was a real excitement and he was, he's an absolute delight, Damien. I just loved working with him in particular. He's one of my favourites. Mm. And um, uh, I guess because Melbourne was very much, you know, it was in the, in the DNA of Melbourne and we all knew somebody who knew someone, if we didn't know someone directly, who was kind of from that world um, or, you know, knew someone who'd been killed or, you know, it's... Mm. Uh, and and also that we were aware that they were the real people were interested in what we were doing and it it was quite a, but quite volatile and 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 responsibility was huge but it was also very thrilling mm. you know, thing to be a part of and the writing was really electric and it was it's sort of so much has happened since and there've been many underbellies since but at the time it was it was something quite new mm. Yeah, I remember yeah. the excitement uh, just around the release. I mean, it was banned here, but I was a pirate at the time. That's so. the spirit. <laughs> Yar. Where there was a will, there was a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the spirit of the show was, was quite palpable um, and, it, and it created a lot of excitement. I mean, yeah, never I, I'd never seen any kind of Australian content that really struck me in a uh, fully formed kind of fashion. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah, it was, and it you know at the time you know packed to the rafters was another one, and underbelly at that time like the, before those two shows, not a lot was going on. There were a lot of sausages being made. <laughs> I call you know when you're making kind of automatic pilot, you're making sausages, mm. and it's very easy to make sausages. People like eating sausages, but but there was something um that there wasn't a, a, a much excitement around Australian drama. Always exceptions, God see change, all sorts of things. Good mm. shows. I don't want to crap on that. But, no, I understand um, what you mean. But 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 it was we Australian audiences really watched. The ratings were insane for for those shows, mm. and that was a, that was a new thing. Mm. At that time, it, things had been a bit flat. Mm. And I think that's the you know we we're talking about turning points before, mm. and I think that that was also a turning point for drama in Australia because. It wasn't the kind of traditional family drama. <laughs> <laughs> but then we did so much of it. Mm. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, look, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. That was just a, a, a role that was um, so brilliantly written and uh, she was so dynamic and she was so um, funny and, uh, you know. Very human. Human and... and, and Big, but in a in a in a not in a big in a in a I don't know like a lust for life kind of. I just loved I loved her so much. I loved mm. playing her. It was just a a great experience. Mm. Yeah, it's quite apparent that you delight in <laughs> playing that role. Yeah, it's it it lovely in an amazing way. Um, how how does one? I mean, you know, I was telling you before that the extent of my research for most of these podcasts is typing a name into Google <laughs> and seeing what comes up, yeah, um, and kind of filtering through that. Mm. 
But in 2007, there was, I mean, there was Google, but there wasn't quite the breadth of information available at your fingertips. Yeah. What was your kind of process of research? And she obviously wasn't a public figure then. No, no. Um, we the re- researchers gave us quite a bit of information, which was really useful. And there were books, a couple of books. Um, John Sylvester and Andrew Rule had written these these books, which were really useful. Um, and there were a couple of other books around as well. Um, and then it was it was talking to we, we had access to a couple of the guys from Piranha who were influential. A kind of couple of the characters were based on them, um, and. With networks, you know, talking to people who knew people, mm. um, talking to some journalists, talk, you know, just and looking through court records and stuff, just doing as much as I could. Mm. And there was a little bit of footage, but not much. So um, it was because I didn't have access to the real person. I did as much research on terms of trying to understand background and motivation, but then it was it was a work of imagination. You know, it was an interpretation rather than impersonation, mm. um, which was really freeing in a way. And so when it came to the sequel, or sort of a sequel, um, or the kind of the follow-up, I guess, Fat Tony, um, by then we, we know so much about the real person now. I just I knew that I couldn't kind of do the same performance because it was mm. it just wouldn't hold anymore. So um, I didn't feel right to do it. But I was, so I was really pleased. A good friend of mine, Holly Andrew, who did Supernova with me, oh, yeah. um, she took it on. I thought she did a really great job. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the rich part of the richness of your character or your portrayal of the character was in the kind of the physicality and the um, and the vocal work that you'd done. I, I was not familiar with your work prior to that, and for all I knew, that was what you sounded like. And <laughs> it was a big letdown, actually, for some people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people wanted me to swear at them. Right. These days. Yeah. Yeah. In public. Yes. Right. Just have their child next to them, yeah. and they're like, "Call me a fucking cunt." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, is that the first swear? You just we've got done? beeped. I think I've sworn a little bit too. No, that, no, that's cool. <laughs> this, this, I think I did the first recording the other day where there was not one swear. Oh, okay. And I was quite surprised. I think the first three episodes, the C bomb was dropped. Oh, really? Multiple times. Okay, good to know. Mm. So feel free. Okay, we didn't have any C bombs in the Underbelly. No, I can't think. I of, don't think that would get on television. No, it has happened. I think, anyway. But yeah, it's rare. It's very rare. Mm. Yeah, um, but plenty I wrote, of others. I got pretty much everything else in. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, what was so going back to what like people asking you in public? What was that kind of like? Then starting to get recognised. That was um, because, I, I guess I am quite different to that character. Um, I didn't necessarily get recognized straight away and as as we said it wasn't on in melbourne so i didn't have that kind of recognition but sometimes someone would click after they've been talking to me for a while Mm. and i had to do a couple of promotional things for the show in sydney and that was a completely different experience um because there was a lot of awareness in sydney but here it didn't it was no it's also melbourne's pretty cool Mm. you know it's never it's never been intrusive or anything people are nice and if and there was a lot of warmth towards that character too, so it was it was never anything but fun. Mm. Yeah. And did you eventually meet the real person? No, I never, I never have. Um, and then she wasn't a fan. 
of what I did. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it would probably happen at some point, but mm. it, it, it never has. But I, <laughs> for all that, I am um, because I've spent so much time. It's a while back now, but because I'd spent so much time and energy trying to understand and learn about her, I've only ever had empathy and only ever wished her well actually mm. and you know occasionally you read something about her and you hope it's going to be good news because they've had so much terrible things mm. in their lives and i guess on an artistic level it's very important to approach any character that you're playing or script that you're writing or whatever with with no judgment at all no and i think um that was a key thing finding out about her childhood which was mind-blowingly uh traumatic and i think yeah, that, that was that was really, and that's the the, the beauty of having. Um, don't know how she'd. She might not feel the same way, but certainly for an actor researching a role of, of, of a real person, you get such a rich, rich kind of background to to work with. You can you know find out about all those details. You're not making it up in your head, mm. you know. And um, yeah, her story was pretty pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah, and so coming out of that then work starts picking up for you mm-hmm. a bit more and then you start um you get tangled and um offspring as well and these shows kind of create a stability and a foundation for you as an actor never feels that way yeah <laughs> but no i i was very lucky uh, with tangle was a wonderful thing to do after after underbelly because she was so different um and the writing was so terrific and I was working with people I'd always admired. I couldn't believe the company I was keeping, you know, Justine Clark and, and Ben Mendelsohn and uh, Catherine McClements and Matt Day. It's just nuts. Mm, that's yeah. quite a uh, who's who. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't believe I was on the same list. It was just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of moving through that and Offspring mm. starts as well. Yes. And... That then, I guess, is much is a more of a mainstream kind of success than, uh, say, Underbelly. I guess Underbelly was pretty mainstream success. Um, I guess different kind of I don't know, but it went for a long time, which which I guess helps too that it, we like Underbelly was one and yeah, I guess that's yeah, what we, I'm we saying. Had, yeah, yeah, more sustained. Have, yes, yes, yes. Um, as a show that's that's kind of out there, mm. and I don't know. Do you? F- I know you said you never take anything for granted, but do you feel? Did you feel a kind of sense of? And I'm. I know that um, something like well, most shows are just season by season, whether or not there's going to be another one yeah. coming up. Yeah. But did you feel a sense of kind of a deep pressuring or the valve kind of releasing a little bit? Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's not true. When we, when season four was commissioned, season five was commissioned at the same time. So I knew that I had. Uh, I knew I had work the next year. That was a nice feeling. Mm. But otherwise, no. Mm. No, never. Never. And I, I'm very uh, suspicious of relaxing. I think it's dangerous. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. You need that fire to constantly keep you motivated and inspired. Yeah, I just, just also you know, remembering how lucky you are if you're working because, what is it, 95% of actors are unemployed at any one time. Mm. Like if you're in the lucky 5%, don't, don't phone it in don't take it for granted Mm. i think that's very sage advice um and you uh you got married to an actor as well yes what did you meet him in a show that you were doing 
I'd met him kind of around the traps, but didn't know him. Didn't really hit it off, to be honest. <laughs> Did not, but just kind of, you know, we hadn't really, I don't think we'd made a particularly massive impression on each other. But then um, I auditioned for Red Stitch and he auditioned me. And then he directed me in my very first show there. And then the next time we did a show, we were opposite each other. And we had to kiss a lot. <laughs> we were a married couple interviewing a serial killer, as you do. And uh, and I, I remember thinking, oh, 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 because we were both with other people. Um, and then I was just awkward around him for about two years because I didn't know what to – this is weird. Mm. I sort of liked him, but I sort of didn't. I was just confused by him. And then eventually we got together. It took years. Everyone else apparently saw it coming, but we right. didn't. Yeah. There was a lot of pulling hair and pushing each other over in the sand pit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm kind of aware of where he is in the room. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. At some level, something, was, something weird was going on. Yeah. Mm. And your partner, when you started at Red Stitch, were they also in... No, my world. partner at that time was in a sensible world, mm. yes, and still is. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is, I'm kind of leading into a question. Oh, okay, yeah. Which is um, one of the things that strikes me about a lot of people in this industry who have relationships is that it's not necessarily with another actor or filmmaker, but it's someone who understands that it's quite an it's, – it's a unique industry and profession. Mm. Um and is not suited to all kinds of relationships. Um, a lot of people that I've spoken to have said they've had difficulty in sustaining a relationship, but then there are people like yourself who have found love within the relationship or a few who have in similar kind of jobs where it's not your traditional nine to five, mm. Mm. Friday night drinks, weekends are free. Yeah, you certainly need someone who understands because, I mean, Dave is... Um He's working a lot at the moment. He's he's filming, and um, and I'm sort of stay at home at the moment. And um, but it's so great to debrief at the end of the day. And also, he's working with a lot of people I know, you know, crew yeah. people who I know. So it's really nice. And it's it's not just that the social aspect of it. It's it's you know the intricacies of working on on a set and the dynamics and stuff and the challenges. And it's it's really lovely to be able to share that. But also the focus required. We did a lot of plays together in the old days and um, he's really calm and centred and I tend to kind of, you know, drop my bundle at least once or twice before a show opens. <laughs> like, oh, can I do this? And that seems to be part of my bloody process, which is a real pain. Yeah. Um, kind of putting that pressure on myself. But um, it's great that he gets it and we're able to do that for each other and we know each other's work so well. And, and I, you know, the last couple of times I've done plays – the last few times, I always get him to come to the first preview or the first dress mm. and just be honest because I trust him. Mm. And uh, invariably, not to go against what the director's doing, but it's always useful. Mm. So what, what was the did, – did he eventually ask you out after a couple of years of hair pulling? Um, <laughs> um, so he got single first. Um, Unreal had nothing to do with me. And then, then I got single, which was – uh, you know, traumatic as these things are. Mm. And then eventually we were in a play together. He was playing a tramp. Right. Uh, and you were playing a lady? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us were canines. Right. But, um, you but, share uh, a spaghetti moment. Yeah. <laughs> I love that film. I've seen it again recently. It's a great film. Oh, it's a great film. Um, 
uh, yeah, but it, I don't actually, yeah, it was just one of those things, but I'm glad it eventually happened. Mm. Yeah. Did you actually have like a first date after that? Or you just kind of no, started hanging I, out? I, look, I, I approach relationships by stealth. I've never dated. I just mm. go after friends historically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle dating. It's too much pressure. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was reading, uh, you, you were talking about off air about um, the show and tell. Yes. Um, interview that you did. Yes. And I was. Which I very much enjoyed, I might add. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that in that interview that because uh, you had a child three years three and a half ago? years ago. Three yeah. and a half years ago. Uh, and you mentioned that one of the reasons that it took you a while to have a child was because going back to what we were talking about at the start was there was this fear of not taking work for granted and that you may. Um, you know, you the work may dry, dry yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Now, obviously, that hasn't happened, but it's quite remarkable to me that even someone who has had a sustained a period of working and um, as you have would still have that kind of fear. Yeah, well, I didn't know what it would do to me as a person. I didn't know if I'd become one of those people that kind of just, you know, some people and power to them go into the, the the parent kind of cocoon and don't want to come out for a while, which is lovely too. Mm. But I was scared that what if I was one of those people and that I, what if I, what if I became somebody else basically? Mm. And um, so I just didn't know what it would be like. And and I wasn't particularly clucky either, so it wasn't like something I'd always had on my So I was kind of like, oh, do I do it or not? It wasn't yeah. just when will I do it. It was like, do we really want to do it? Let's just make a person. Yeah. <laughs> and then it actually seemed to be a bigger risk not to do it. Mm. And then also, I must add, talking about life and work kind of, um, you know, kind of bleeding into each other, I was doing a storyline on Offspring where my character desperately wanted a baby and couldn't. Mm. And it actually occurred to me that at, you know, 37, 38... I'm just assuming I can do this whenever I want. What if I can't? And I started doing some reading on IVF because my character was doing IVF. And I actually started going, oh, shit, this is not something I can mess with. In fact, I might have been messing with this for too long. What if I can't? And the idea of that door being closed and also kind of going emotionally with my character to a place of imagining wanting a baby and Mm. making that real for myself. It was a great gift. I blame the writers <laughs> for, getting me, for getting me pregnant with Archie because I actually think that um, Offspring and Billy's journey gave me the push that I needed. Mm. And I'm so grateful because, you know, undoubtedly the best thing I've ever done. Mm. Like, it, I mean, I've loved all the work I've done, but no contest. Mm. Yeah, most people say it's, uh, most people, everyone says it's a love that you can't describe. It's nuts. And it's, you know, infuriating and tiring and exhausting and hard and it, you know, um, hijacks your life. <laughs> but it is the best. I sound like a bloody Hallmark card. But um, no, it's, I'm just very glad. I'm very grateful that it did happen. I'm kind of trying to lead this into a spiritual world. Yes. But I feel like I've just done it by saying that. <laughs> Do you consider yourself, I mean, I know that we've spoken about that it requires a certain something of someone to follow this kind of path. Mm. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily a blind faith or anything like that, but do you have a particular kind of uh, faith or credo or something that has um, kind of helped you on this? Um, I have. I was raised Catholic, 
So that's kind of the framework mm. that I was raised with. It's very important to my family, um, but I would be lying if I said I was a practicing Catholic. I'm not. Mm. Having said that, that's my uh, reference point. And I very much enjoyed, you know, when I was in my 20s backpacking and being at you know, Vatican City and, 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 mm. and hearing about the history and actually un- knowing the stories and, and realizing that I belong to a, a rich culture uh, and history. And that is a wonderful thing to have. Like I'm really grateful for that mm. that tradition and, and sort of belonging to something that's bigger than me. Mm. So I like I like that, um, but I have general kind of I, I think I'm making it up as I go along. This has been a really interesting year for me. Without going into to, to detail, there's been a lot of sickness and um, well, death really in the last year in my family. Um, in my extended family. So it's been a year of kind of thinking about the big stuff actually. And I kind of, I've got an awareness of um, mortality that I've never had before. And the fact that uh, you don't, we don't know how long we've got and, um, and belief is really important. You know, I think we, we, in our culture, we, um, we like to pretend that, that, that death is a shock, <laughs> a great mm. indignity and an outrage. And it's certainly my initial reaction um but uh but it's not we're all gonna die and that's kind of key it's really important to recognize that not in a it's a it's a good thing to know about because i think it means we don't hopefully take things for for granted and i think knowing where you're at and what you believe is a really great thing to strive for so Mm. yeah i think i'm at the beginning of that sort of journey but i'm not quite sure where i'm gonna end up i have no idea where i'm gonna end up with that Mm. Not taking things for granted is certainly a big theme of today's interview. Mm. Yes, it is. It is. Mm. And I think it's very important as well Mm. because it keeps you present. Yes. Yeah, each moment. And we've talked about, you know, what you want. We spend so much energy kind of building our future, but it's also about making sure that what you're doing day to day is something you're enjoying Mm. and you're spending time with people you like and people that are good for you. Mm. Um, Because I spent a lot of energy, especially in my 20s, kind of trying to build a future. Which is important, you know, but, but yeah, you've got to, you don't know if you're going to get there. So you make sure you, you, you like where you are too. Mm. Yeah, life is the moments in between. It's not the end result. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But what you were saying before about having a, um, a kind of cultural identity or a traditional identity through uh, religion. Mm. Uh, Nick and I, were, we're Jewish, we were brought up. We both went to a Jewish school, mm. but I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but I certainly don't identify as a Jewish person religiously, mm. but traditionally and culturally, and I guess in terms of a family tribe, yes, there's, you know, it's uh, intricately woven oh, into. And that's such a rich culture too. Mm. Yeah. And that's a really amazing thing to be a part of, to have that in your, your DNA. And I, I'm really grateful to have that too. Um, but yeah, then you've got to find your own way, whatever mm. that is. Mm. Yeah. And you have to love it. Yes. You have to love my way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> excellent show, Love My Way, can I just say. That, that was show. the highlight of the, yeah, <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> um, I don't identify really with the religious aspects of, um, of the culture. Mm. And I don't believe that God is a man that sits in the clouds and says this is right and this is wrong. Mm. For me, I guess it's more of an energetic kind of 
thing that what we can all give to the world is our love and our kindness and, and serving mm. we talking about before this bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I guess, stepping outside of one's own life and into a more collective kind of idea of what we can all bring to the table. And I think through our art, we can inspire and, and help for this to happen. Oh, I think art is really, it sounds lofty when you say art, but our work, whatever that might be, mm. um, can has the power to transform. It really does. And, and do great, do great you know, things. Like Even, you know, on a kind of micro level, I've played characters that have changed me you know, that have made me open my eyes to certain um, ways of looking at the world or certain experiences, you know, people I might have judged. I remember playing early on at Red Stitch, a character who who was um, a beaten, you know, was in an abusive relationship. Um, and I, as a, you know, 28-year-old, whatever I was when I was playing the role, I just couldn't understand how could you be in, stay in a relationship like that. Um and it was extraordinary to actually go there and, um, and it gave me such, it just made me a better person a more empathetic, understanding, uh, enlightened person <laughs> in a very small way. <laughs> I'm still a bit of a dickhead, but, <laughs> but it was really good for me. It, yeah. it was, um, and yeah, and I think, um, and I've seen, I've seen films that have changed my ideas about the world or told me about, you know, a part of society or a mm. culture that I didn't know about. So I think, yeah, there's real there's goodness, you know, there's real positivity that can come from from telling really important stories and moving stories and, yeah. Mm. And I think particularly today, you know, today's age where there's so much accessibility and you can, you know, you can have a podcast and have a voice mm. and, you know, a, a few people will listen to it and mm. may or may not agree with the things that you're saying, but... Mm everyone can kind of tune in to what you want to say if you're if you're speaking to something that's not just a self-indulgent kind of going yeah back, you know yeah and keep tying all these things up wow yeah, yeah. um almost intentional and so yeah i um i i agree with you i think it's i think it can be transformative and it can be very powerful and it's important i saw that you did a film with um alkinos Silometus uh, yes. directing M4J. Yes. I did, yeah. Well, no, I didn't do much in it, but uh, I love doing it. Mm. And he's a real kind of um, philosophical, uh, artistic mm. filmmaker. Um, do you find? I'm not sure how many of these sort of roles you get offered. I know um, theatre is obviously something that one is more inclined to do for, uh, I guess, a creative output as opposed to a financial output. Um, but do you find that uh, now that you can be a bit more selective, that there you are managing this kind of art versus uh, finance kind of? Yeah, I, it's funny. You know, it's not like I'm 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 knocking back roles left, right, and centre. Um, I'm not. Um, but I do. I I do want to. And it may change because, you know, life is complicated. You know, you have kids to educate, whatever else, you know. Mm. Do that gig in the chicken suit, you know, whatever you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but ideally, I want to do stuff that, I, that I, I, I think has legs, that I think is good, that I think I can be proud of. 
but also, you know, in an ideal world, you know, you'd only do the, you know, <laughs> you have to, it's a, it's a balancing act, I suppose. But mm. um, I don't feel like I've compromised myself yet. Mm. That it that may change, <laughs> but I I, I, w- I really want to, um, and I'm not I'm not anti-commercial. I really believe that um, good stuff should be. I I don't see why commercial and 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 critical should be mutually exclusive. Mm. I, don't, I don't think they should. I think no, I agree. great stuff should should be appreciated. So yeah, but that's the thing. Often you take a job, it's a leap of faith. You know, offspring. I, I liked all those people. I wanted to work with them, but there was no script. You know, that happens sometimes. So you just sort of, you see how it all ends up. Mm. Yeah. You just have to go with your instincts and take leaps of faith sometimes. I mean, that was a huge leap because they're all bloody great people, but you know what I mean? You don't necessarily know how something's going to turn out. Mm. And I guess that goes back to not taking opportunity for granted. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And and I guess I remember Bud Tingwell saying, or being quoted as saying, I'm paraphrasing, but he was an amazing actor and he basically said no matter what job you take and he worked in everything you know some really highbrow lowbrow you name it but he, mm-hmm. he said every time you take a job you give it everything and you give it the utmost respect um and i think that's the go i mean you can't always control the projects that you're in but you can make sure that what you do is as good as you possibly can make it mm. yeah but who knows you know in two years <laughs> cat stewart in a succession of stinkers who knows <laughs> But at least you gave your all to yeah. the stinkers. <laughs> so Archie has two actors as parents. Is he doomed? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. He does like dressing up and he likes telling stories, but that's no surprise. Um, oh, he's, he's a really interesting little dude. It'll be really interesting to see what he wants to do. Mm. Um, but he's certainly entertaining us in, mm. in the meantime. So Archie, if you're listening to this in 15 <laughs> years' time, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Ring your mother. Call your mother. She misses you. Well, thank you so much, Kat. This has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank um, you, Alex. It's been a tremendous honour for me to sit with you and chat. I do have one final question, which I ask everyone. Uh-huh. You're the first person I've forewarned of this question, oh, actually. Oh, right. Um, so no pressure. I wish I could remember what it was. <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to tell me again. I will. No, good. Um, what makes you silly? Oh, I know that it's easy. It's Archie, my son. Mm. Yeah. Um, He's um, he's always making us do stupid voices, um, look for dinosaurs, you know, you name it. So we, I've never, I've sort of let go of pride a long time ago with my work, but <laughs> there's no no sense of pride in in the home either. Mm. Yeah, so no, we just muck around. It's mm. great. What's what's a ridiculous thing that you've done with him? I don't even know where to begin. Um, uh, I don't, I can't. It's everything we do is stupid, really. It's, we're constantly doing stupid voices. Rarely am I me. I'm always having to be um, someone from a film he's watched, mm. like Jesse from Toy Story. I've spent whole days being Jesse from Toy Story. And we just, and then we'll be out shopping and I'll realise that we're still doing the voices. Well, actually, he doesn't do any voices. He just makes me do them. Mm. Um, like a good director. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite critical if he doesn't think I'm hitting it either. Mm. Um, yeah, so we just spend a lot of time kind of making stuff up. Mm. And I guess that kind of ties you back into your childhood where that was stuff that you would enjoy doing. Yeah, I had I, I spent a lot of time kind of with my imagination and playing. Yeah, so he's definitely, and I think David was the same, so there's, I just definitely got that. 
Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you for being episode 20, Kat. Oh. Or for being any episode. Yeah, well, um, particularly chapter 20, that feels like a milestone. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Milestone. Thanks, Kat. What an inspiring, awesome, and just outstanding career and interviewee Kat Stewart is. Thank you so much, Kat. What an absolutely awesome way to ring in episode 20. Friends, if you like what you heard, please jump on over to iTunes, rate, review, and share. Rate, review, and share. Rate, review, and share. Rate, review, and share. Rate, review, and share the podcast coming up next. If you didn't know, that's the name of the show. And and help us to continue the evolution of our show. Let me know how you're going with all the rambles on Twitter at Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com slash C-U-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Coming up next, friends, to kick into the 20s. We've got our first ever Skype ramble, friends. I'm going to jump online at about uh, 6 or 7 a.m., Skype with a man who is in the east coast of the United States. This is a really, really special one, friends. I am super, super pumped to be bringing you an interview with this man. He is from Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation. For those of you who aren't familiar with Ramdas, he wrote a book called Be Here Now, which you may or may not have heard of. I would highly recommend going and checking out some of his videos on YouTube. We're going to talk a lot about a series called Experiments in Truth. This one's going to go pretty deep into the philosophy, into the love, the life, the serving, the foundation. Coming up next, friends, Raghu Marcus from Rumdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation. I can't wait to share this one with you, friends. I'll see you in episode 21.